0: This guy's name is Neville Chamberlain. He's actually the Prime Minister of Great Britain. And uh, he will probably forever be known as being on the wrong side of history. I'll just explain because uh, he was the Prime Minister of Great Britain as Hitler was in rise. And um, he's kind of been the one who's been labeled with um, appeasing Hitler which means that Hitler was being very aggressive in Europe and had gone in and taken over Austria and uh, was starting to expand his empire. And then um, it, he had his eyes next on Czechoslovakia, at least part of it, the Sudetenland. And uh, he, um, he, he wanted to take over that part of uh, Czechoslovakia because uh, they were quite often, more often than ethnically German uh, if you can then do that, and um, so uh, the the people in in Europe, the, the the leaders in Europe were obviously getting anxious that Hitler is starting to sort of you know expand. You know, uh, there's a present day sort of uh, uh, comparison to to Putin and in the Crimea and that sort of thing. Same same thing exactly um, was going on back then, and so uh, Chamberlain. Um, and instead of sort of standing up and, and being strong against Hitler, he's always been known and he, he's become famous for appeasing him, which means that he basically, with some of the other leaders in Europe, met with Adolf Hitler and they said, well, you can have Sudetenland as long as you promise that you're not going to go anywhere else, right? And uh, famously came back with his Munich Agreement, you know, you know, peace in our time. Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, Hitler's not going to go any further. We've negotiated with Hitler and everything's going to be good. Uh, clearly he was on the wrong side of history because we knew that Hitler and from, we know, from history, we know now, uh, with our 2020 vision, uh, that Hitler had much greater plans and, um, appeasing him and handing over part of Czechoslovakia um, just proves that he was sort of in the wrong. And uh, last week, um, we took a look at Paul's speech to the Jewish faithful in a place called Pisidian Antioch. This is a town now kind of in the middle of Turkey. And uh, in this place... Paul and Barnabas were asked to speak because they were visiting the local synagogue. And in his speech, Paul very clearly, I would say very um, persuasively, presented Old Testament prophecies that pointed to Jesus Christ being their long-awaited Messiah. And so Paul takes their scriptures and points to Jesus and says, look at Jesus has fulfilled these prophecies and therefore he is the long-awaited Messiah. And he closes, with, he closed his speech with um, a warning, a very strong warning, kind of like a warning like we have heard from Joanna today um, about idolatry and having other gods before the one true God. And it was this uh, prophecy from Habakkuk. In which Habakkuk writes, behold you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I'm accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you'll never believe, though someone should describe it to you. And he was saying to these, these Jewish faithful in, synagogue, in this synagogue in, in Turkey, he was saying to them, guys, be on the right side of history. Don't be on the wrong side of history. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the coming Messiah. He came. He came. Not the coming Messiah. He is the Messiah who has come. And um, his life, his, his death, and the way he died, his crucifixion, his resurrection, was all foretold in the Old Testament through the prophets. Paul challenged them not to be on the wrong side of history. You often hear this term, a watershed moment. Um, I often think of the bombing of the Twin Towers in New York as sort of a watershed moment for the world. It's sort of when uh, the jihad, uh, the war uh, of of some extreme fundamentalists um, kind of became real to us, right? (laughs) When we saw those Twin Towers go down. We, We saw... The Twin Towers come down and we knew that there was a battle going on. Different parts of the world have been in this battle, they knew about this battle, but the watershed moment for us was that the Twin Towers uh, on in downtown New York, the war came to North America. And so it's a watershed moment. And so a watershed moment is just simply this, a point in time when nothing after will ever be the same as before. <laughs> And I wanna present to you this idea about being on the right side and the wrong side of history. There's a watershed moment in the history of our existence, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the watershed moment in all of time. Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and when he did, it proved his identity, Proved that he was God. It proved his message of a world that needed salvation and needed redemption. And as he rose again, it endorsed, it affirmed, it vindicated his mission. And so all of history after the resurrection of Jesus Christ is affected by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's a picture of a watershed. Um, a watershed in its, its most literal sense is uh, where the water goes when it hits the earth, right? So um, you would have a mountain, let's say, and a drop of rain will hit the top of that mountain. And before it evaporates, it's either going to go one way or the other. I want to suggest to you this morning that the watershed moment of history <laughs> is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you accept that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, you're a friend of the gospel. But if you reject that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, you're a foe or an enemy, I would say, of the gospel. And so the ridgeline is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you accept that he rose from the grave, you will then be on the right side of history. If you reject it, you're on the wrong side of history, because in fact, nothing is the same because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. So if we accept that the gospel, the identity of Jesus, his message as a mission, uh if we accept that, our whole life should be shaped by our acceptance of the gospel. But if we reject the gospel, our whole life is shaped, interestingly, by, (coughs) I guess, ourselves, with a huge influence from the enemy of God, Satan. And so... When Paul presented the gospel to these folks in this synagogue, he pleaded with them to be on the right side of history, (laughs) to accept the gospel, because that would make all the difference in their life. And we have to realize that it's a zero-sum game. It's an all-or-nothing thing, right? That little drop of rain that hits the, the, the line on that mountain can't balance on the top. <laughs> it goes one way or it goes the other way. Right? It has to go one way or the other. And so it's a decision that is made when presented with the gospel as to whether or not you'll be a friend or a foe whether or not you'll accept it or you'll reject it. And Paul was pleading with these people, accept the gospel, accept who Jesus is, accept his message, and accept uh, his mission. Today's lesson is just taken from some verses that follow about how people responded. Because I think it's really important. It's very telling to us uh, how people responded then. It's the same as how we respond today to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we'll just take a few, uh, take it in a little step-by-step, verse-by-verse approach here, where we'll take a look at how people respond. My suggestion, again, is that if, <laughs> how they responded really will determine whether they're on the right side of history or the wrong side of history, because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the pinnacle of human history. So first of all, we read in verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them back uh, to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And I think of these folks as seekers. They're, they're, they appreciate the gravity of the decision that they're faced with. They get that it's a watershed moment for them. And, and they, so they said, well, come back and, and, and talk to us again. We'd like to know. And I think of these folks as as seekers. And then in verse uh, 43, we see some people fully embraced it. They were converted to the gospel, to the truth of Jesus Christ. It says in 43, when the congregation uh, was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Barnabas and Paul and uh, talked with them and urged them uh, uh, to continue in the grace of God. So Paul and Barnabas uh, just said, just continue in the grace of God. In other words, they were, I believe, (laughs) what we've been singing today, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he came to save a fallen world. I believe this. I believe he is the Messiah. I understand the Messiah now uh, compared to what I used to think the Messiah was. I love the fact that they used these words to continue in the grace of God. It's really important to note that because in fact, they were being rescued from a justification, if you will, that, or yeah, a gospel, if you will, that was based on works and legalism and so justification to the Jews under the old covenant was a justification by works it was legalism it was trying to obey the letter of the law but but just as we read here if you remember the words they used when they were preaching this sermon to these folks in Pisidian Antioch therefore my friends I want you to know that through Jesus Christ the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Justification just means a right relationship with God. You could not get right with God by, trying, by, by obeying the, the old covenant simply because there's nothing wrong with the old covenant <laughs> simply because we couldn't do it. We are too flawed as people, to be able to fulfill the letter of the law. But they presented a justification that was by grace, a relate, right relationship with God that was based on, here it is, take it, it's yours, it's a free gift, it's salvation. And so they continued, uh, they told them, just continue in the grace of God. Just imagine the freedom that they enjoyed, the peace, the joy, the joy, they enjoy because they accepted that gospel, the gospel of grace. Well, it continues on, um, our passage in verse 44, on the next Sabbath, almost almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? And I think of those folks as, as the curious. There's definitely some people there that are just curious, Right? Uh, they're not—they're not—they're not particularly even sort of spiritual kind of people. They're just kind of curious, man. What's going on? I mean, certainly Paul and Barnabas had really made a stir in the town, and so they're just going to show up, and they just want to see what's going on. And there's always going to be the curious. There's always going to be those who are kind of looking. There'll be a lot of people next weekend at the Willie Graham uh, convention that are just really there because, yeah, it's a happening thing. You know, it's a big show going on in town. and, And it's really, it's not really something that they're really engaging as much as they're just curious. And sure enough, you know, the whole city shows up. And then there were those who responded to the presentation of the gospel that Paul presented, and they they decided to be enemies of the gospel. They were determined to be enemies of the gospel. They were determined not to embrace the gospel. They were enemies. When the Jews saw the crowds, and, and when Paul writes like this, he says the Jews, he's speaking of the Jewish leadership. So when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. And the word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. And they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expected them, or expelled them, I should say, from their region. Someone last week, after us studying this persuasive Sermon that Paul presented to the Jewish people, which outlined all of—not all of them—some of the scriptures from the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus, that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, even including the stuff that they didn't didn't fit their paradigm of the Messiah, that was uh, unique to their their understanding of what the Messiah was. The, the for instance, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Um, you know, somebody said to me last week, "How, after having heard this incredible sermon, this presentation, why would anyone be an enemy of the gospel? Why weren't they converted?" And it got to me to thinking: what What are some of the reasons for becoming an enemy of the gospel? Why would you be an enemy of the gospel? And um, I, I looked to a book, the Book of Corinthians because it speaks specifically there. Paul writes about being an enemy. And uh, he wrote it this way, giving an explanation of why people would respond like these people who are enemies. He he writes in in 1 Corinthians 1, For since uh, since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because of the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so he points out that for the Jews who resisted the gospel, and to this day resist the gospel, it's an issue of the crucifixion being a stumbling block. Because their paradigm of the Messiah was one who is a victorious overcomer who is going to make Israel once again that great nation that it was during the days of David and Solomon. And crucifixion doesn't fit with that because it was the most shameful uh, way to go. And so they couldn't accept that. And then for the the, the, the Greeks uh, or the Gentiles, they would, they would not accept because they, they were based, their, their thinking was based in reason, they were like, well, the resurrection just doesn't make any sense. And so for them, it was just foolishness. You see, people reject the gospel because of issues like that. But you know what? When you actually think about it, it really boils down to, to one reason why people reject the gospel. And it's pride. Right? It's simply pride. It was it was it was the, the first sin of Adam and Eve, right? Is that 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 wanting to be like God. Right? And so it, it's the same for the people that reject the gospel. It's a matter, it's an unwillingness to appreciate that God is God and we are not God. And that there is a truth that exists outside of what we determine to be truth, that we're created. And so these Jewish leaders, obviously, was they're jealous. Like They don't, they want, it's pride, right? They want, uh, they don't want to lose their prestige and their influence with the Jewish people. And so they stir up trouble. And then Paul ends with these verses, or we read these verses about how things end at Pisidian Antioch. We read, uh, they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. That was the Jews. And then, then Paul and Barnabas <laughs> answered them boldly We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth that's taken from Isaiah 49. And when the Gentiles heard this they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who appointed and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And then later on in verse 51 so they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the holy spirit and so their their um, uh, their experience in the and Antioch comes to a close, but it comes to a close with a warning. It's the dusting off or shaking off the dust from the sandals, which was a strong uh, warning that, you know, folks, if you persist in rejecting the gospel, if you persist in being an enemy of the gospel, you're on the wrong side of history. And they gave them a warning. I think it's important to keep this in mind that, you know, it's a warning. (laughs) It's not a condemnation. It wasn't like, you know, go to hell. It was, I'm dusting off. It's a warning to you. This is serious, folks. (laughs) You don't want to be on the wrong side of history. You want to be on the right side of history where Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, will bring about his will and his purposes to the conclusion of the age. You remember Jesus told his disciples when they went out uh, on their first missions trip, he said, wherever they do not receive you and and when you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. It was simply a warning. So this is the experience of Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas in Pisidian Antioch. And you can start to see now that history is changing. That the gospel will always be presented to the Jews, but it's also going to be presented to the Gentiles, which is everyone else, right? And that the gospel is going to be presented to the Gentiles because that was always God's plan. It was always God's plan that the whole world would know salvation through the Messiah. Jesus Christ. So the bottom line is, this morning, where does this leave you? Um, what would you do with Jesus? Um, would you be a friend or a foe of the gospel? This good news. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ demands a response. Without it, as Paul writes, without it, uh, your You're foolish to be here on a Sunday morning without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the affirmation, it is the confirmation of all that he is. It is the pinnacle of God's plan of redemption for the earth. And so we are forced to make a decision. Will we be on the right side of history or will we be on the wrong side of history? Perhaps today's a warning. Perhaps today's just a, uh, something for you to think about as to whether or not you have decided to put Jesus Christ as, the, as your Lord, the Lord of your life, and as your Savior. Because, as, as I said earlier, it demands everything of you if you choose to be a friend of the gospel, it requires everything of you. Your entire life is uh, directed then, by this faith that you have. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this powerful interaction that we see with Paul and Barnabas in this little town in Turkey. Lord, I thank you for um, just the very clear, inspired presentation of the gospel that was given there. I thank you, Lord, that many people, particularly those who were not um, bound or slaves to the wrong or errant view of the Messiah. Many people came uh, to be friends of the gospel, became followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to live lives that show forth an understanding an appreciation of the significance of the decision that we make when we decide to be on the right side of history. Help us to understand that uh, to think that we can be on both sides is counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense. And help us, Lord, to live wholeheartedly for you. I pray, too, that we would be advocates Mm -hmm that we would be those who want people to understand that there has been this event. God himself has become a person, taken on flesh, (coughs) has lived amongst us, has shown us the kingdom of God and what it's like and what the expectations of God are like, what it is to be holy and then has made a way for us to be Help us to be ambassadors. Help us to live that first song that we sang. Help us to live those words that we recited the Apostles' Creed. Help our lives to show forth our belief and our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.